listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip through Venmo to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 356, and we are reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 17, paragraphs 706 to 712. 706. Not only the birds of the earth indulged in this sorrow, but also the brute beasts of the earth. For when one day, according to her custom, the Queen of Heaven went to visit the holy places of the Redemption and arrived on Mount Calvary, many wild beasts came from surrounding the mountains to wait for her. Some of them prostrated themselves upon the ground, others of them bowed their necks, and all of them uttered sorrowful sounds, and thus for some hours manifested their grief at the impending departure of her, whom they recognized as the Lady and the honor of all creation. The most wonderful sign of this general mourning among creatures was that the light of the sun, the moon, and the stars was diminished, and on the day of her transition they were eclipsed as at the death of the Redeemer of the world. Although many of the wise and thoughtful men noticed these unwanted changes in the celestial orbs, all were ignorant of the cause and could only express their astonishment. But the apostles and disciples, who, as I shall relate farther on, were present at her most sweet and happy death, knew then that all these signs were tokens of sorrow in insensible nature. The unintelligent things of creation justly anticipated their mourning for the loss of their queen, while intelligent human nature failed to weep over the departure of its sovereign, its legitimate mistress, its true beauty and adorning glory. In the former alone seemed to be fulfilled the prophecy of Zacharias, that in that day the earth shall weep, and the families of the house of God, each one for itself, that the mourning shall be the death of the firstborn, over which all are accustomed to weep. This mourning, which the prophet predicts for the only begotten of the Eternal Father, was due in proportion also to the death of the Most Pure Lady, as the firstborn daughter of grace and of life. And just as the faithful vassals and the servants clothed themselves in mourning, not only at the death of their prince or their queen, 
but also at the prospect of their danger or of their loss. So the irrational creatures anticipated the feeling and the tokens of their sorrow at the approach of the transition of the Most Holy Mary. 707. The evangelists, before all others, shared in their sorrow, and in a special manner and more deeply than all the rest, felt this impending loss, without being able to conceal it or dissemble it from the more familiar inmates of the house. Two daughters of the master of the house, who were much in attendance upon the queen of the world and some other very devout persons, chanced to see him shedding many tears in his sorrow. As they knew the peaceful and tranquil disposition of the saint, they conjectured that this unusual emotion was caused by some very weighty event, and in their kind solicitude, they a few times urged him to tell them the cause of this unusual sorrow, in order to relieve him if possible. The holy apostle suppressed his grief and for a long time concealed its cause, but not without divine dispensation he finally yielded to their importunities, and told them that the happy transition of their mother and lady was approaching. For these were the titles of the evangelist applied to the most blessed Mary in her absence. Hence, some time before it really took place, this impending loss of the church became known to some of the more familiar acquaintances of the queen. For none of those that came to know of it could restrain their tears and sorrows at this irreparable loss. Thenceforward they multiplied their intercourse and their petitions with the Blessed Mother, throwing themselves at her feet, kissing the spots where her sacred feet had trod, asking her to bless them and take them with her, and not to forget them in the glory of the Lord, whither she was about to carry away with her the hearts of all her servants. 7.08 It was a great mercy and providence of the Lord that many faithful of the primitive church were thus timely forewarned of the death of their queen. For he does not send labors and evils to his people, without first manifesting them to his servants, as is said by the prophet Amos, Amos 3.7. Although this loss could not be spared by the faithful of that age, the divine clemency ordained that, in as far as was possible, the primitive church should find a compensation for the loss of its mother and mistress, and that its tears and sorrow should be the means of obliging her during the space of time, which still remained of her life, to favor and enrich them with the treasures of divine grace, which, as the mistress of them all, she could confer upon them in her departure, as for their consolation she really did. For the maternal bosom of the Blessed Lady, in this extremity, was moved by the tears of the faithful, and during those last days of her life she obtained from her divine Son for them, and for all the Church new mercies and blessings of the divinity. In order not to deprive the Church of these new favors, the Lord did not wish to take them away unwarned from His Blessed Mother in whom they trusted for help, consolation, joy, relief in necessities, lightening of their labors, counsel in their doubts, succor in their afflictions, and all kinds of blessings. 709. At no time and on no occasion were those ever disappointed who trusted in the Great Mother. She relieved and helped all that did not resist her loving and clement advances. But during the last two years of her life, no one could count or estimate the wonders of beneficence. She wrought upon the mortals of all classes that flocked in multitudes around her. All the sick that presented themselves before her, she healed in body and soul. She converted many to the evangelical truth. She had drew innumerable souls from sin to the state of grace. She relieved the great miseries of the poor, 
dispensing what she possessed or what was offered to her as gifts, and succoring many others by miraculous means. She confirmed all in the fear of God and faith and obedience to the church and as mistress and only treasure of the riches of the divinity of the life and death of her son, who wished to throw open all her riches of liberal mercy before her death in order to enrich all her children in the holy church. And above all, she consoled them and encouraged them by her promise that she would continue to this day to favor us at the right hand of her divine son. Instruction which the great queen of the angels gave me. 7.10 My daughter, in order to understand the jubilee caused in me by the announcement of the end of my eternal life, men must consider the desire and force of the love that urged me on to reach and see God and the glory he had prepared for me from all eternity. This mystery entirely exceeds human capacity and what the children of the church are able to understand of it for their consolation. They do not seek to merit to make themselves capable of, for they do not apply the interior light or purify their consciences for its proper reception. On thee, my divine Son, and I have liberally conferred this and other mercies, and I assure thee, my dearest, that happy are the eyes which see what thou hast seen, and the ears which hear what thou hast heard. Guard thy treasure, and do not lose it. Labor with all thy power to gain the fruit of this knowledge and of my teaching. I desire of thee that part of this fruit shall be to dispose thyself from this hour for thy death in imitation of me, since having the certainty of its coming any space of time should seem short to thee for completing this business of eternal loss or gain. No rational creature was so certain of eternal reward as I, yet notwithstanding the certainty. I received notice of my death three years in advance. And thou hast seen how nevertheless I disposed myself and prepared myself for the hour of death with the holy fear proper to a mortal, an earth-born creature. In this I acted as a creature subject to death and as the teacher of the church, giving an example to the rest of the faithful of what they are to do as mortals, and as more in want of such preparation for avoiding eternal damnation. 7.11 Among the absurd fallacies introduced by the demon into the world, none is greater or more pernicious than the forgetfulness of the hour of death and of what is to happen at the court of the rigorous judge. Consider, my daughter, that through this portal sin entered into the world, for the serpent sought to convince the first woman principally that she would not die and need not think of that matter. Genesis 3.4 Thus continually deceived, there are uncountable fools who live without thought of death and who die forgetful of the unhappy lot that awaits them. In order that thou mayest not be seized by this human perversity, Begin to convince thyself now that thou must die irrevocably, that thou hast received much and paid little, that the account shall be so much the more rigorous as the judge has been more liberal in the gifts and talents lavished upon thee in thy sphere. I do not ask of thee more, and also not less, than what thou owest to thy spouse and to thy Lord, which is always to operate the best in all places, times, and occasions, without permitting any forgetfulness, intermission, or carelessness. 7.12. If in thy weakness thou incurrest the guilt of some omission or negligence, let not the sun go down or the day pass without having sorrowed for it or confessed it. If thou canst, as if it were for the last account, proposing amendment, even of the slightest fault, commence to work with new fervor and solicitude, like one from whom the time is slipping away or accomplishing such an arduous and laborious task as the gaining of the eternal glory and felicity, and the avoiding of everlasting death and punishment. 
This is to be the continual occupation of all thy spiritual and sensitive faculties, in order that thou make thy hope certain and joyful, 2 Corinthians 1.7, in order that thou mayest not labor in vain, Philippians 2.16, nor run on into the uncertain, 1 Corinthians 9.26, like those who content themselves with some good works, which they mix up with many reprehensible and detestable crimes. These cannot walk in security and joy of interior hope, since their own conscience assails them and saddens them, unless they are lost in forgetfulness, and in the foolish delights of the flesh. In order to fill all thy works with perfection, continue the exercises I have shown thee, and also those thou art accustomed in preparation for death, and all the prayers, prostrations, and aspirations thou usually practiced. Then receive the spiritual viaticum, as if for departure from the earth to the other life, taking leave and forgetting all that thou hast in this life. Enkindle thy heart with the desire of seeing thy God, and rise up to his presence. Where is to be thy future habitation, and thy present conversation? Philippians 3.20 This concludes our reading today for day number 356. We've been reading from volume 4, book A, chapter 17. Paragraphs 706 to 712. How impressive it is, as we heard yesterday at the end of our reading and then today, that even the animals could sense that Our Lady, the special woman among them, that she was going to pass. And that these animals at Mount Calvary gathered around her and showed their own reverence toward her. Again, remember that canticle in which Daniel says all these things, animals, you know, beasts, oxes, all of them, they bless the Lord. And so now they're even honoring the Blessed Virgin. I think what's interesting here is that Our Lady went to Mount Calvary. So here she is at the end of her life, and there she is again retracing the different steps that they had gone on all throughout their life. So she's going back to the place where he died, going back to the empty tomb, going back to the place of the ascension. And so she's allowing those holy experiences to flood her mind once again. I thought it was interesting, too, that Maria of Agreda, she associates the forthcoming death of Our Lady with prophecies from Zechariah and the prophet Amos. And even though... Perhaps that's not the ready interpretation of those passages. We can read it there. And her reasoning seemed very sound, that if these things were to apply to the Son of God, well then the firstborn of all the daughters of Eve, the one who was preserved immaculately without sin, well, it should also apply to her. So we can see then, the connection here of the prophets, their message, and the death of Our Lady. We also know that Our Lady has been so close to the early believers, and we heard that the Divine Son wanted to obtain new mercies and blessings for the church in order not to deprive the church of new favors. The Lord did not wish to take away from them unwarned His Blessed Mother. And so that's why they become aware that she's going to be leaving them. 
because it was in Our Lady that they sought so much help, so much counsel, so many prayers. And so now that they know, well, then they're able to prepare themselves. But we also know that Our Lady is going to be praying for them from all eternity. And then in the instruction that Our Lady gives, she says that she had this great desire to go to this place prepared for her from all eternity. And that's something that we hear usually at a funeral, usually at the burial. One of the scripture passages says, Come you who are blessed by my Father, come and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so the reality is, is God intends the kingdom of heaven for you and for me and for all of us, but we have to attain it. We have to live our life here on earth, worthy of the kingdom of heaven, stand before the judge, and then be admitted to that kingdom after a time of purification and purgatory. But for Our Lady, heaven is the place for which she is destined. There is no purification for her. She is able to go straight away to the gates of heaven, being united with her son once again. So truly, he prepared that place for his mother from all eternity because God knew who Mary was. God knew what she would do. God knew what he did for her by sparing her of sin. And God knew that he would bring her into eternal paradise. Let us be vigilant in how we live our life so that at the hour of our death, we might not fear what is to come, but know that when we go before the Lord, we will be able to tell him how much we loved him and loved others. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the Mystical City of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.